Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, we ask that you speak to us today. Lord, we want to hear your word. We want to hear your voice. We don't want this to be a wasted day. We don't want to hear men's thoughts. We don't want to hear men's words or ideas or philosophies. We've come to the house of God. And if we've come here, it's to draw near to you. If we've come here, it's to hear you. Right now, we repent from our sins. We repent from anything that separates us from you. We ask that you forgive us and that you give us a clean start, Lord, which is what your word, what you've promised to do is to give us a clean start when we repent and turn to you. So we do that now. We ask that you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is an end-of-the-year message. It's called Finishing Well. Um, 2018 is over. Whatever you plan to do for 2018, you've got very little time left. It's pretty much gone. Businesses are buttoning up their year-end activities. Some of you are rushing to do, to do inventory at work because you got to close the books. Some of you are salesmen and you get rewarded on your sales for 2018. So you're, you're giving stuff away, trying to get your, meet your sales numbers. You're calling everyone up and saying, are you sure I got a two for one? You sure you don't want to make that last minute purchase to book the numbers for 2018? Um, many of us are in year end festivities. We've been celebrating Thanksgiving. We've been celebrating Christmas. I think I had four Christmas parties I went to. Church Christmas party, family Christmas party, work Christmas party, friends Christmas party. And then now we're getting ready for New Year's. And so we're in a time, a very busy time uh, at work, a very busy time in our personal lives. Um, year-end festivities, Christmas festivities, and the year is over. 2018 is over. Can you believe it? You ever find yourself saying, where did the year go? That's a loaded question. I know the answer because we all say it. In common conversation, when it starts to become October, November, December, you start to look at yourself and say, it's the end of the year. Where did it go? At the beginning of the year, the end seems so far away. And that's, that's really a metaphor for life. At the beginning of a thing, the end seems so far away. When you're young, you think the end is really, really far. I can't believe I'm 40 years old. Joseph is laughing. I remember when I was sitting in Joseph's shoes. And I would hear the 40-year-old saying, I remember when I was 16. You will. You'll be here one day preaching and talking about remembering. And there'll be some Joseph sitting in the aisle laughing at you. <laughs> That's okay. God willing, your turn will come and you'll make it to 42. But I know you've found yourself saying, if you're older, if you're younger, you don't say that. But if you're older, I know you found yourself saying, where did the years go? And we don't realize as we do life, as we get busy, we don't realize that time is passing. We don't realize that they're at the beginning of the year, you don't realize that the year is going to come to an end. At the beginning of your life, you don't realize that your life is going to pass. And someday you're going to be staring at the end of life. And the difference between a year and between real life is you don't know when the end is going to come. I think Sister Maggie was saying, tomorrow's promise to no man. We don't know if our days are going to be 80, 100, or 2. 
two, meaning years. We don't know if we're going to live two years, 80 years, 100 years. We don't know. I just got back from a ski trip where I was teaching my daughters to ski. And I remember like it was yesterday <clears throat> when I was their age and I was the one learning how to ski. The end of the year is a reminder and it's a wake-up call that even though the end seems far away, the Bible says the end will sneak up on you. It says it comes like a thief in the night. When you're not expecting it, the end is going to show up. And so God made all things for us to enjoy. He made these times, he made the seasons, he made your family, and he gives you all things for you to enjoy. But <clears throat> pastor's heart was that the church would not be distracted. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll perceive that this is God's heart. That the church not be distracted in the year-end festivities and all the activity. And forget your Lord. Pastor was concerned about the church being able to finish well. Jesus spoke in Mark 13. He spoke words to prepare God's people for how to finish well. He gave warnings. We can go to Mark 13, 1. He gave warnings about what the end days will look like, what the spiritual climate will be during the end days, what people's emotional disposition would be. And he gave warnings, it said, to be on alert and be on guard against those that would sabotage your faith. Mark 13.1 says, this is Jesus. Then, as he went out to the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus said, verse 2. And Jesus answered and sent him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. The buildings, the great buildings and the magnificent stones are talking about man's accomplishments. The buildings are what the, the great feats that man has been able to accomplish. And man's heart when they're on the earth is to set their eyes on earthly things, on temporal things. And Jesus had to tell them, you see this great building? It too shall come to an end. And so God warns us about setting our eyes on the things of this earth, on the accomplishments of this life, on, on setting our heart on this life. It says not one of those will remain one upon another they sh that shall not be thrown down. There's nothing on this earth that, it, that is going to last. Nothing that man does on this earth that has eternal value. Verse 3. So the disciples, when they heard that the end, when they heard Jesus talking about the end, they got interested. When you start talking about the end, everyone gets interested. How does the movie finish? Or if we're talking about the end days, wait a minute, I want to know exactly how this is going to go down. So, his, so as he sat at the Mount of Olives, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, John, and Andrew 
asked him privately, hey, Jesus, verse 4, tell us when these things will be. When is it that everything is going to come to an end? And how will we know what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? I don't know. I'm going to speculate now. So, And this is not... I'm going to speculate. I wonder if the reason they wanted a sign was kind of like a radar detector. You guys, I don't even know. You guys don't even know that. Most of you don't know what a radar detector is. I think nowadays the radar detector is on the GPS where it says police up ahead. In the old days, if you were somebody who used to drive fast, you see, those of you who are 40 are smiling because you know what I'm talking about. In the old days, you guys know the police will use a radar to check how fast you're going. And so people who have a tendency to drive fast, you could buy, and it was very expensive, you could buy what's called a radar detector. And you put it on the front of your car. And as the police would try to get you with the gun, the radar detector would detect that there's a police officer, that there's a, a radar hitting your car and you would and it would start to beep and you would slow down my father had one <laughs> so you want to know you want to have this radar detector because you want to know when you have to slow down you want to know how long can i continue doing what i'm doing before i have to get serious i can go fast how many of you, you're driving down the expressway and you see a police officer and all of a sudden you drop about five, you tap the brakes? You want to know how long can you keep this up before you have to tap the brakes, before you have to get right. That's human nature. So I'm, I wonder if the reason they said, hey, Jesus, you're talking about the end. Can you tell us when that's going to happen? How long can I keep fooling around? Before I have to get serious. Jesus, what is the sign? How will I know when I have to straighten out? What does the car look like? Does the cop car have lights on it? And is it painted a certain color? Or is it undercover? How will I know that the end times are coming? What is the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Verse 5. Jesus said, Listen, these guys are looking for, I want to know, how will I know that this will happen? And Jesus answers them kind of indirectly. He said, since you're interested, since you asked, take heed that no one deceives you. One of the dangers of the end times, one of the dangers of the last days is deception. Verse 6, take heed. Oh, by the way, it says that no one deceives you. That means those who are going to be deceived will be deceived by someone. How will they be deceived? Many will say, I am he. We're going to be deceived by other people. Or I should say it differently. Jesus warns us against being deceived by the people we listen to. There is a danger in the end times of being deceived. There is a danger of being led astray, of shipwrecked in your faith. And it's a real danger. Consider who he's talking to. He wasn't talking to the guy on the street. He was talking to his disciples who pulled him aside privately. So you might say that this, I'm not going to be deceived. I sit next to Joey in the front row. You might say, I'm one of the chosen. That's like a, for those of you who haven't come to church for a long time, that's like a really old spiritual term. And, and, and it's in the Bible. The Bible talks about a chosen people. And so, so if you've been in church for a while, 
you know that the Bible says you've been chosen by God. So then there's this terminology we use, oh, I'm one of the chosen. So you might say, I'm not going to be deceived. But this Jesus, listen, you were chosen, but these guys were handpicked by Jesus physically. Andrew, come here. Who, was el who else was it? I don't know, was it James? Go back a couple verses to where it says the names of the people that were chosen. It was probably four. There it is. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. These guys were chosen by Jesus. And Jesus told them, make sure nobody deceives you. What am I trying to say? This is a very real danger. And it's a danger not for the people that don't know Jesus. This is a danger for the people that, that are able to pull Jesus aside privately. This is a danger for the people that speak with Jesus privately. That have a relationship with God. It says be careful that no one deceive you. So this is a very real concern. How is it that we're led astray? And who are those that lead us astray? 1 Corinthians 15.33. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can't be led astray. Just because you walk privately with Jesus. Don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good character or good habits. Another translation says good character. The company you keep is either going to help you to finish well. Listen to this. The company you're keeping is going to help you finish well or the company you're keeping is going to lead you astray. The Bible says don't be fooled. Don't think it won't rub off on you. Don't think you're going to keep company with them and you're not going to change and it's not going to affect you. The company you keep will either help you to finish well in the Lord or they're going to lead you astray. Proverbs 13.20 He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion... He who keeps company with fools will be destroyed. Jesus is saying, be intentional about the company you keep. Be intentional about who you keep company with and speak with. Because it will determine your future. It's going to determine whether you finish well or, <clears throat> well or not. Be intentional about keeping company with those that are going to help you finish well. Be intentional about staying away from fools. Say that again. Be intentional. Let me say it differently. Identify the fools that are surrounding you and get away from them. And that, that merits repeating. Identify the fools and stay away from them. Because they will lead you astray. Proverbs 24, uh, sorry, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Just so you continue to see that the people that you keep company with will have an, an, a direct impact on your life. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man, do not go. By the way, do we have, a, if we have New American Standard, um, and we can put that up there, that would be good. But it says, make no friendship, do not associate with a man given to anger, or with a hot-tempered man. Verse 25, why not? Or you will learn his ways. If you hang out with a fool... You're going to learn his ways. You're going to learn his jokes. You're going to learn his attitude. 
you're going to learn his view on life. And when, I, and when the Bible says learn, it's not talking about uh, head knowledge. It's talking about you will, take, you will adopt those foolish words, the foolish ways, the foolish outlook on life. So it says, don't keep company with a hot-tempered man, with a man given to anger, because you're going to learn his ways. Figure out who you want to be. And even better said, figure out who God wants you to be. And then hang out with the people that are going to teach you that. Because who you hang out with is who you're going to learn from. Figure out what God wants you to be. And then get around people that can teach you to be that. Because whoever you hang out with, you're going to learn from. And it can be a snare. It can be a trap if you pick the wrong company. If you learn from the wrong men. And First uh, John 4.1. <clears throat> Again, being selective, intentional about the company you keep. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't be a fool. Don't be simple-minded. Every voice is not equal. Every voice in your life doesn't have equal weight. Every person in your life is not going to have a positive effect. Every relationship is not positive. Do not, uh, uh, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether it comes from God. Because many false prophets go out into the world. There are many things that look spiritual. There are many people that talk spiritual. A false prophet, if we break that down, it says they're a prophet. They're a false prophet, but they're a prophet. And there's a spirit behind that prophet. Meaning, it sounds spiritual. It sounds good. A false prophet can't deceive you unless it sounds attractive. You can't be deceived by a lie that is not attractive to listen to. That's how, they, that's how a false prophet seduces us. He tells you what your ears want to hear. A false prophet will seduce you by telling you, what your ears want to hear. The Bible says, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirit to see whether they're from God. You have to discern everything I know about God, what the Bible says about God, what I've been taught by my spiritual leaders, what the Holy Spirit has <clears throat> put in my heart for my, during my Christian walk. Is this consistent? Does this sound like, does this smell like, does this taste like it comes from the Lord? Because it can be a seducing spirit. A spirit that's telling you what you want to hear to lead you astray. Jesus wouldn't tell you to test the spirits. You might say, I don't know how to do that. Jesus wouldn't ask you to test the spirit if you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. If you're sincere with yourself and you use the word of God as your guide, you will be able to test the spirit. You'll be able to know whether it comes from God. God is not asking you to do something that you cannot do or that you're unable to do. God is asking you to do what you're able to do. So if you find yourself in a situation where you say, 
Lord, is this, I don't know if this is from you. Pray and ask the Lord. Lord, give me wisdom. Reveal to me if this spirit comes from you. Two, get into the word of God. And if you don't know what the word of God says, and you don't even know where to start, go to one of the spiritual leaders that you know is walking with God. Someone that you know that has a testimony before you, meaning you've watched their life and you know that they're serious with the Lord, <clears throat> that they have a good testimony, which means they have a track record of years of walking with God and not leading people astray and tell them, listen, I have this situation. What do you think? What does the Bible say about this kind of a situation? The Holy Spirit will lead you, the Bible says, to all truth. That's God's promise. It's your job to test the Spirit, to search, to, to, to dig deeper than what's on the surface. It's God's job, or it's the Holy Spirit's job to reveal to you the truth. But don't be a fool. Be careful how you live this life. The Bible says don't walk like an unwise man. Don't walk like if nothing matters. Don't walk like if your decisions don't matter. Don't walk like if your words don't matter. Or don't, I should say this. Don't talk like if your words don't matter. I'm going to say that again. Don't talk as if your words don't matter. Don't walk as if your decisions don't matter. And one of the things we've been learning in men's group, <clears throat> Monday, nights if, Monday nights, if you're a man and you're not coming out to men's meeting Monday nights, you should be. We invite you at 8 p.m. Uh, I don't think we're going to have service this Monday, uh, but we're going to announce in church when they start back up. I would presume it's going to be not this Monday, but the following Monday. But we're learning in men's meetings. Careful with your words. Careful with your actions. Watch this. Careful with your thoughts. Don't think as if your thoughts don't matter. Your thoughts matter. Many of us think that what matters is our actions. I can say what I want as long as I do the right thing. Many of us, and that's not true. The Bible says we're going to be judged for our words. It says every, we will be judged for every idle word that we speak. The Bible says let your words be seasoned with salt that they may give grace to the hearer. Let your words Build up and edify. So don't speak as if your words don't matter. And now the most intimate place, your thoughts. Don't think. Don't allow your thought life to develop as if your thoughts don't matter. Because your thoughts are the, the seeds to your words and the words are the seeds to your actions. Your thought life matters. It matters to God. And ultimately, it's going to matter to your wife and your children and the people you work with because it's going to, your thoughts are going to affect your words, are going to affect your actions, and it's going to affect them. But you don't have to get that complicated. The simple thing is that your thoughts matter. Don't allow your thoughts to roam. Don't allow your thoughts to entertain that which doesn't please the Lord. And that's a struggle. I say that and it rolls off the tongue. But what I'm really talking about is a continuous battle with the thoughts that rise up. The Bible says you have to take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So your words have to obey Christ. Your actions have to obey Christ. But if you're going to be prepared for the Lord's coming and if you're going to be prepared to finish well, your thoughts have to obey Christ. 
And if there's a battle before us, it's the battle in our mind to take every thought captive that disagrees with God's word. And we could be here all day making a laundry, a laundry list of what those thoughts are. But you know what pleases the Lord. And God is calling you to sanctify your thoughts. To renew your mind. Don't think as if your thoughts don't matter. Or don't think in such a way as if your thoughts don't matter. Be intentional about the company you keep in 2019. Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 59. So Jesus was teaching. It says these things he said in the synagogue, synagogue as he taught in Capernaum, verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard what he was teaching, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Verse 61. So they heard Jesus' words and said, this is too difficult. But Jesus, knowing that his disciples grumbled, said, does this cause you to stumble? 62. What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 63. So he gives them a more difficult teaching or a more difficult saying. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Let's keep it there for a second. When Jesus brings a teaching, a word to our life, the Bible says the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But in the flesh, our reaction is, these words are difficult. Who can do this? When the word of God comes to our life, the first thing we say is, I can't do this. This is not realistic. This guy's, I don't know where this guy gets this stuff from, but nobody can live this way. And by the way, that was how the disciples reacted. So don't feel bad. The disciples that were, that were following Jesus in his day, when they heard his teaching, they said, who can do this? This guy is mad. Nobody can do this. And then it says, the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. You can't do anything. When you read about the flesh, it's often talking about what we can do in our own abilities. We cannot walk with the Lord without the Spirit, without the aid of the Spirit. If we're going to finish well, we need to recognize this is not going to be done in our own strength. If we're going to finish well, we need to recognize we need the grace of God. Lord, I can't do this. This is too much. It's beyond me. The flesh profits nothing. If you're making any investments in the flesh, FYI, you're going to get zero return on investment at best. Probably get a negative return on investment. There is no profit in the flesh. The only way to walk this life is to walk, Lord, hand in hand with Jesus. Lord, Guide me by your spirit. Lord, I need you to take me through this. I can do nothing on my own. I have no plans. When we talk about the flesh, we're talking about the plans that man has. Why does it say the flesh profits nothing? Because man is always looking to profit. Man is always looking to do something to get a good return, to get a good reward. So man has these plans. Of how he's going to get ahead. The Bible says the flesh. There's no profit there. The only benefit. The only way that we're going to get a good result. 
is, Lord, here's my life. Here's what I have. I need you. I need you to put life into this body to guide me, to instruct me, because I know that if I walk according to my own understanding, if I walk according to my own strength, I'm a dead duck. The flesh profits nothing. Verse 64. There are some of you who do not believe. So walking in the flesh will lead you astray. And walking in unbelief will lead you astray. Some of you who do, Jesus said, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe Excuse me, and who it was who would betray him. 65. And he was saying, <coughs> excuse me, he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him from the Father. So again, we have to come before the Lord and say, Lord, draw me near to you. Because I know that if you don't do it, there's nothing I can do. It says, unless it is granted to him, From the Father, no one can come to me. We are 100% dependent on God. We are 100% dependent on God. Verse 66. As a result of his words, many disciples withdrew and didn't walk with him anymore. If I was to pull out the, the things that caused the disciples in this verse to leave Jesus and to be led astray, it was walking in the flesh and it was unbelief. Let's go to another aspect of our life that can cause us to be led astray or to fall away. Revelations 2.4. In the previous verses, he's talking to the church and he's talking to them about all the good that they've done. So he's talking about a church that has taken the Lord seriously. He's talking about a people who have been serious about their relationship, or, or I should say about their Christian walk. But then he says, I have, but. So he tells them, I know you've done this. I know you've done that. I don't want to get distracted with those verses, which is why we're not reading them. You can read them at home. But he says, I know you've done all these great things, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. Verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove the lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Jesus says, all that stuff is great, but you've left your first love. You better go back to the basics. You better repent and do what you used to do. You better pray like you used to pray. You better read the word like you used to read it. You better worship like you used to worship. Otherwise, I'm going to come remove the lampstand. The light that's in your life Isn't that crazy that Jesus would remove? The Bible says Jesus is the light of men. How is it that he would come remove our lampstand? Jesus is saying, if you don't repent, and if we don't go back to our first love, he's going to remove our lampstand. He's going to remove our light. How is it that a disciple can be led astray when he's so busy being a disciple that he loses his first love? 
he leaves his first love. And so Andrew and James and Peter and all the other guys in that verse 4, if they lose their first love, they can go astray. And so can we. That's how those that walk intimately with Jesus, even they can be led astray. If they get distracted with anything else that's not their first love, their simple, sincere devotion to Christ, we got to repent. If we're going to finish well, we need to repent and do the first works Second Peter chapter three. We'll start in verse one. Peter writes concerning finishing well. He says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you. I'm writing to stir up. You know, I, which I'm writing, stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder. If we're going to finish well, we need to be stirred up. We need to be, we need our, our zeal and our passion to be stirred up, to be woken up. Have you ever, have you ever started a campfire? We were, we were doing a barbecue. We had it, for those of you who know Everett Soler, he is probably, mm, probably enjoys cooking and probably enjoys the fruit of his labor more than anyone I know. And we took food for a battalion. We had so much food. And one night we're doing a, a grill, we're doing a barbecue. I think the grill, I'm exaggerating, okay, this is a Cuban, Cuban story, so... The grill seemed to be like it was from here to there. Okay, maybe it was half of that. A huge grill filled with meat. It was like three and a half families. A ton of food. Guess what my job was? I don't know how to cook. And guess what I'm, my father-in-law's job was? This thing was so big. We got these big um, cardboard boxes. And our job was to fan the, fan the flame. Up there, our job was to fan the flame to keep the, it was like 30 degrees outside. And we were keeping the fire going so we could have some Angus beef tonight. And we just kept it going and it got the fire going. And you know what? The, the charcoal that was black, the charcoal that wouldn't turn on, as we kept fanning that flame, little by little, the edges started to get white. And little by little, more and more of the charcoal started to burn. And it started to get hot. And it started to get white. And we just kept fanning the flame until all the charcoal was going. And we ate good that night. But we have to be stirred up in our spirit. We have to stir each other up. And we have to be stirred up in our spirit if we're going to finish well. The Bible says that we have to have, we can't be hot. I'm sorry. It says, I wish you were hot or cold. There is no lukewarm here. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out. If we're going to finish well, we need to be stirred up. We need to stir each other up, and we need to be stirred up in our spirit. He says, I'm writing to you, <clears throat> to you in which I am stirring you up in your sincere mind by way of a reminder, verse 2. That you should remember the words spoken. By the way, how are we stirred up? The words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord our Savior spoken by the apostles. Verse th uh, 3. Knowing this, that in the last days, mockers will come. With mocking, uh, following after their own lust. Verse 4. And they will say... Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. 
Mockers are going to come and tell you. They've been saying that for 20 years. They've been saying that for 50 years. They've been saying that for a thousand years that we're in the end times. Mockers will come to cause you to become indifferent. We're supposed to be stirred up. Mockers are going to come to cause you to throw water on your fire. To tell you none of this matters. It's never going to happen. Verse 9, the explanation. I'm skipping to verse 9. Now the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some people describe slowness, but he's just being patient, not wishing any of anyone, anyone to peril, but for all to come to repentance. It's not that God's not coming. God's trying to give you a chance. It's not that God, it's not that it ain't going to happen. It's that he doesn't want you to be caught up in it when it does. But when it comes, the Bible says it's going to be like a thief in the night. Verse, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night when you least expect it. Like a thief in the night in which the heavens pass away and with a roar the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth will be burned up. That's why God is being patient. He's trying to deliver you from this. But when it comes... It'll be too late. The Bible tells us to be ready all the time. Because once it comes, it's too late to get ready. We want the radar detector. We want to know ahead of time because we want a warning. The Bible says it's going to come like a thief in the night. You won't know. So you better go to bed with your boots on. You better go to bed ready to go. You better go to bed dressed. We need to be ready all the time. Because you're not going to get a warning. It comes like a thief in the night when you least expect it. So if you're waiting to get serious, you do so at your own risk. The time to get serious with God is now. Because he's being patient, but he, he's being patient, but he's not going to warn you before it comes because that's not the way he's designed it he's saying get ready now live in a state of readiness verse 11 since all these things are to be destroyed what sort of people ought you to be what does it mean to live in a state of readiness? To live in holy conduct. What does holy conduct mean? It means your thoughts matter. It means your words matter. It means your actions matter. And so if they matter, what are we supposed to do? It says holy conduct and godliness. We need to think like God thinks. Godliness. What does godliness mean? I think like God, I talk like God, I act like God. That's our filter. When we're going to, in order to determine our readiness, we evaluate. Do I talk, do I think like God, talk like God, act like God? And, if, and, and where I don't, Lord, change my thoughts. Lord, teach me how you think. Teach me how you speak. Teach me how to act. Lord, what would you do in this situation? What would you say? How would you react? What would be your thoughts in this situation? Going back to Mark 13, if we can go to verse 7. 
When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but the end is but that is not yet the end. Second Timothy 1:7. If you notice here, Second Timothy 1:7. That verse said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, when you hear, when you turn on the news and you find out what's going on in the world, or when somebody calls you with bad news, the Bible says, don't be frightened because God has not given us a spirit of fear. You're going to hear bad stuff. You're going to hear bad stuff that is going to cause your heart to become frightened. The Bible says God has not given you a spirit of fear, which means you know that that spirit of fear did not come from God. Which means we are not to walk in fear. Make, if you're going to be ready for the coming of the Lord, make no decision based on fear. Do not let fear influence your decisions. Do not let fear influence your thoughts. Do not let fear influence your actions because God has not given you a spirit of fear. God is calling you to walk in holy conduct. That means you think, talk, and act like God. And God did not give you a spirit of fear. So the last days will be dangerous times. The last days will give you plenty of opportunity to walk in fear. But the Bible says... Jesus said, do not be afraid when you hear those things because he has not given us a spirit of fear because he's overcome the world because he's walking with you. Verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 6. Um, so Mark 13, 6. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, he and mislead many. Verse 7. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but do not be frightened. Those things must take place. Verse 8. Nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be earthquakes in various places, famines, and these things are the, merely the beginning of birth pangs. These are all things that could cause you to fear. These are all things that could bring Fear into your heart. But we must never be moved by fear. When we hear news, it's an opportunity for fear to fill our hearts. But fear distorts the truth. Fear distorts the truth and brings an opportunity for deception. In those verses, Jesus warned that there would be many charlatans, many people, false prophets, trying to seduce you, trying to lead you astray. Verse 9, Jesus says, verse 9, be on your guard. We need to be on our guard. If he, how do we... What does it mean to be on guard? Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Do not get, verse 18, I'm sorry, 17. Do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. 18. Don't get drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit. Verse 10. I'm sorry. Let's go back to Mark 13, 10. You should continue to read Ephesians 5 on your own if you're taking notes. Verse 10, the gospel... Verse 9, it was talking, and 8, we're talking about all this bad news. It was talking about us being delivered before uh, rulers to give an account for our, uh, um, let's go back to verse 9. 
They will deliver you to the courts. You will be flogged in the synagogues and stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. Verse 10. All of this brings an occasion to preach the gospel. These events will create opportunities ripe to preach the gospel. By the way, what we just read seems far away because you live in the United States. What we just read seems like it will never happen. It doesn't seem real, but that's because you live in the United States. There's other places in the world where, the, where verse 9 is already happening. They're already being tortured. They're already being imprisoned. They're already being killed today for the Lord. Not here. Not in Miami. But there are plenty of places in the world where people are being killed for living for Jesus. And I pray that if we ever find ourselves in that situation, that we would not cower. That we would be able to rise, because we're not there. We're not. But that we would be able to rise to that level of faith. That God's spirit would be in us so powerfully that we would be able to be faithful in that situation. What we're reading in verse 9 is a reality throughout the world. Verse 11 says, When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry before you, beforehand about what you're going to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. These situations will create opportunities for the Holy Spirit to speak and move on behalf of believers in these perilous times. So as you're in these, as the end times bring, bring us into peril, as they bring us into difficult situations, it's an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to speak on your behalf and for the Holy Spirit to move on your behalf. It said it is not you that speaks, but it will be the Holy Spirit. Don't even worry. Don't sit there and try to figure out what you're going to do. This is not your time to shine. This is the time for the Holy Spirit to make himself known. <clears throat> verse 11, that's verse 11. Let's go to verse 12. Another aspect of the last days is family breakdown. It says, brother will betray brother and father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Verse 13. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Family breakdown is another aspect of the end times. We have to be ready for our love for the Lord to be tested. It says those who endure to the end will be saved. We have to be ready for our love. If we're going to finish well, our love will be tested. And we need to be ready, the Bible says, to endure to the end. The devil's going to launch every missile in his arsenal to bring us to surrender our faith. And give up our devotion to the Lord. But the Bible says that's just the beginning of birth pains. The beginning of birth pangs. As we finish 2018. As we close out this year. May the Lord grant us grace. To finish our race well. In finish in faith. In hope. And in love. Without offense without despair, without selfishness, without giving in to sin and temptation, keeping ourselves in the love of God. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father and the fellowship of, our Holy, of the Holy Spirit continue upon us now in 2019 and forever. Amen. 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 God bless you. We're dismissed.